Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Kraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio. It is good to be with you another weeknight, another evening, reflecting into the richness of our faith. It is Friday, so we have the opportunity to engage the gospel text that we will hear on Sunday. This is uh, Friday, Scripture for Sundays. While I've made a point to get guests with me uh, from one day and one week to the next, um, my guest for today had to bow out for circumstances he could not control. So I am flying solo today. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to email me at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com or go ahead and go to my website and you can contact me there. So we have the opportunity today, this fourth Sunday of Lent, to reflect into another great encounter. You know, today's nothing short of amazing gospel story and in the healing of the blind man is about seeing the face of Jesus, allowing the scales of blindness to fall from our eyes, experiencing his healing powers and acknowledging Jesus for whom he really is, the Lord and Savior who has come into the world. And again, like that of the Samaritan woman, we have a figure in Scripture, a person in Scripture who has a personal encounter with Jesus and cannot help to pro- proclaim him as Lord and Savior. And like last week, we have a gospel reading that is very long. So as many of you might be familiar with uh, this healing of the blind man, this great story, I'm going to go ahead and, and give you an abridged version. Uh, it's in the Gospel of John chapter 9, verses 1 to 41. Again, this will be an abridged version. I know most of us are familiar with it. If not, go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to chapter 9 with me and certainly follow along with some of our reflections for tonight. With that, the Gospel text. And this is John chapter 9. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. He spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and smeared the clay on his eyes, and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed, and came back able to see. His neighbors and those who had seen him earlier as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is. But others said, No, he just looks like him. He said, I am. They brought the one who was once blind to the Pharisees. Now Jesus had made clay and opened his eyes on a Sabbath. So then the Pharisees also asked him how he was able to see. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and now I can see. So some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a sinful man do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, What do you have to say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, 
He is a prophet. They answered and said to him, You were born totally in sin, and are you trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. When Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, he found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, I do believe, Lord, and he worshipped him. Amen. Again, like last week, another rich and beautiful text. Now, off the top, when you read this story, there is a truth that to me is, is almost fun. If you read the whole text, it's 41 verses. Two of the verses are actually the blind man being healed. 39 verses are, are about the controversy surrounding the cure. You know, in response to inquiries into the origin of Jesus of Nazareth, you know, the formerly blind man replies, he restored my sight. Where do you think he's from? I mean, think about it. Here you have a man who's been blind his whole life, and he's being prodded, provoked to almost go against what just happened. And he's simply saying, what do you think I'm going to say, right? Initially, the Pharisees appeared to accept the blind man's healing. But then, as we read, they began to doubt, only, of course, to deny our Lord's heavenly origin. The blind man's simplicity, we can say, confounds the wise. They end up refusing to see, rendering themselves blind. You read the story, you read the Pharisees, and there's a tendency within us maybe to be critical of what they have to say. And yet, it shouldn't be so difficult to sympathize with the Pharisees. I mean, they really were only doing what we do, or at the very least, what we've been trained to do. They observe, they analyze, they describe and explain the phenomenon of a particular situation. This is how we are trained to think. The formerly blind man was unlike us. He can never observe as we observe. Therefore, he can never analyze as we analyze or even begin to describe uh, the thing that he has never seen. He was not pious in the traditional sense or even respectful of his elders. What he knew for sure was that once upon a time, he sat in darkness. And now, suddenly, his whole world is drenched in sunlight. I mean, think about this, my friends. No wonder he says what he says. <laughs> One thing I do know is that I was blind, and now I see. The man who has now recovered his sight does not start with special knowledge, but simply with the acknowledgement. Jesus is the one who gives him life, who saves him, who removes his blindness. And I emphasize this ultimately because while there's so many theological points to be had, while there's so many things to discuss, we have to underscore, first and foremost, the importance of this blind man and the fact that he now sees. 
He's the one who gives them hope and courage. He's the one. He's it. It's really interesting when you follow this text. You know, the blind man progresses from darkness to light, right? He regards first Jesus as a what? A man. Then he regards Jesus as a prophet. Then a man from God. And finally, to Lord. Does this sound familiar? This progression, this maturation of faith, this gradual transformation from man to prophet, to man from God, to Lord. This is what we heard last week, right? We made this same point last week where the Samaritan woman, she meets Christ and he's first who? Sir, right? Then he's prophet. Then he's Christ. He's anointed and ultimately she recognizes him as the savior, uh, savior of the world. And what do they both do? What lessons do we have from last week and also to this week? That when we recognize God for who he is, when we recognize Jesus Christ for who he is, we worship him. This is a great theme to the gospel of John. We worship. So the man was now able to see earth in light of heaven, time in light of eternity, and his life in light of his destiny. Why? Because Jesus is the source of our seeing the meaning of earth, time, and our lives. And this is a great lesson for us in this gospel today, that we would begin to see earth in light of heaven, time, this great gift of time that we've been given in light of eternity, and ultimately our lives in light of our destiny. There's something else here as we're talking about this text and looking down these verses. You know, Jesus does something, what would appear to be quite strange. He passes by the blind man, and what does he do? He spits on the ground and made clay with his saliva, and then smears the clay on his eyes. What is he doing here? Then he goes to tell him to, to wash. He's showing us that matter in the context of something you touch has sacramental quality. It can be used as a sign pointing to a deeper reality. In interior change, new sight. I mean, Jesus doesn't have to make clay. He doesn't have to use his saliva. He can just say the word, as we have seen him in other areas in this gospel. And the miracle is performed. No, he wants us to see something different. And the church fathers talk about this. That indeed, he wants us to see how matter can be used as an outward sign pointing towards an inward reality. And ultimately, in this case, new life. Common materials serve a holy purpose. Go wash, he says. Be made clean, he says. And where does he go? To this pool of Siloam, which means scent. Isn't this a great image for baptism? Right? The waters that cleanse, the waters that give us the eyes to see as God sees, and ultimately 
the gift that we've been given so as to be charged to go forth, to be sent forth and proclaim the good news. Let us remember our baptismal call. Our baptismal call is to go out, to go forth, to be sent. And we do so out of our nourishment in and with God. So there's a beautiful sacramental imagery going on here. And certainly John wants to show this to us. You've heard me speak to this before, how in his gospel, he's considered the theologian because he's, he soars. And in soaring, he, paradoxically, he goes deeper and deeper and deeper. He wishes for us to roll up our sleeves and to really get into this text. And this, is, this is what John does. This is who he is. This is why he's a theologian. He wants to go deeper. And he wants us to see that there's something else going on here. That, in fact, common materials serve a holy purpose. You know, Pope Emeritus Ben XVI says uh, on this text, you know, the miracle of this healing is a sign that Christ wants not only to give us sight, but also open our interior vision. I love that phrase, interior vision, so that our faith may become ever deeper and we may recognize him as our only Savior. He illuminates all that is dark in life and leads men and women to live, as Pope Emeritus says, as children of the light. We put our hope and all of our stock in people, in things that we simply cannot control. God empowers us by the grace that he gives us in baptism to cry, Abba, Father. That's our freedom, you see. That is where we begin to better understand all of the muck and the mire that we might find ourselves in. Why would you allow this, God? Why would you allow that, God? Go deeper into God, sink deeper into God, and you will be made to see why. This uh, time of Lent is again a time of purification. It is a time where we are reminded that we need God more in our lives if we're going to understand the meaning of our lives. Again, earth in light of heaven, time in light of eternity. Only then will our lives make sense in light of destiny. And I know, you know, I speak with a lot of different people when it comes to, you know, maybe them not understanding their situation in life. And as we journey in dialogue, they find when they open up the Word of God, and they frequent the sacramental life, and they put God first, which always means dying to something. And again, this is what Lent is about. Then they begin to see what God sees. They begin to see that which is most excruciating. And remember, excruciating in the Latin, ex cruces, from the cross, can actually be a gift, something of God's mercy. A severe mercy, yes, but mercy nonetheless, a great gift of mercy because it has us going deeper. But if you think you're going to get out of it by yourself, that you've got it all figured out based upon what you think you know, your world will become only more problematic. And what God says to us this Lenten season is embrace all that is before you 
and allow it to be a means to an end. Allow it to be something that is life-giving. Conform all of your suffering. Conform everything that you are, everything that you have to me, and I will give you meaning in your life. So let us stop putting all of our hopes and expectations into things we cannot control. Remember, remember this great truth that we should never allow other people's weaknesses to dictate how we love. If we do, we fail Christianity. What do I mean? Imagine, if you will with me, if Christ allowed other people's weaknesses to dictate his love. That's a scary thought. <laughs> As I look in the mirror and all see all of my weaknesses, right? We must love for the sake of love. And again, we don't do this overnight. We've spoken about this a great deal over the last few weeks. We must embrace the meaning of Christianity that is given to us this Lenten season and certainly as we move closer to Good Friday. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He loves because he knows to love is to always seek the will of the good for the other. And of course, this is what he does with this blind man. And so we are to be children of light, as Pope Benedict reminds us. Which means we are to oppose the darkness and the shadows that exist in the world and in the church and in our homes sometimes and never grow satisfied with them. We can never lose sight of the one request that matters to see Jesus in each and every moment. Not just catching glimpses of our Lord, but rather long, loving, meditative gazes upon the one who is our reconciliation, our hope, our light, and our peace. If you've lost your gaze on our Lord, mea culpa, ask yourself why. What is it that I am attached to? What is it that has taken me away? Who's the person that I put too much expectation or hope in? You have to ask yourself the tough question if you're serious about Christianity. It's hard. Lord knows it's hard. <laughs> so our gospel today is ultimately on sight and blindness and how it provokes so many different reflections into what it means to go deep in our faith and have that close encounter with Jesus. You know, as I was reflecting on today's passage, an additional reflection I had, kind of fun, we just had a newborn. She's a little over two months, Sienna. And it's it's been fascinating. You know, this is uh, baby number four for us. It's been fascinating to be reminded of something. And that is how the newborn child is incapable of distinguishing things clearly. You know, only after a few weeks does the newborn child begin to focus. Imagine if a newborn child could express what he or she experiences when he or she begins to see clearly the face. We'll say her for now, right? My daughter, her mother, or her father. Of, of generally people, things, colors. Imagine how many oohs and ahs we would hear. It would be a kind of hymn to light and to sight. 
it, it's really fascinating for me because, you know, I, I say two weeks, two, three weeks, you know, those are the days when I begin to see uh, that my children recognize me. And certainly with our youngest, Sienna, oh, it's, it's deeply moving to have your daughter's eyes meet yours. There's something realized in that moment, the bond of a new relationship, the power of, of eyes. You know, it's, it's just so striking. Sometimes I find myself just looking at Sienna, my youngest daughter, and just staring at her. The power in that, the power in sight. So we're talking about physical eyes, yes. But again, our discussion is also about the eyes of faith that allow a glimpse, if you will, into another world beyond that which we see with the eyes of the body, the world of God, of eternal life, the world of the gospel, the world that does not end, not even with the end of the world. So as I talk about these physical eyes and how maybe as newborn children look into the eyes of their parents and the power behind that, imagine the power we gain and what we do here on earth, when by the grace of God we obtain those eyes of faith, how our eyes of faith empower us to do more for God. There's no question, as we're talking about this, you know, there's no question that what I'm talking about demands the leap. But there's no one greater truth that when you talk about faith, alongside of it being a gift from God, that it does demand the leap because trust is the most concrete act and virtue of faith. The leap by which one passes to be a Christian in the true sense is when he proclaims like the man, uh, the man blind from birth, that Jesus is Lord and adores him as God. You know, Christian faith is not primarily to believe in something, that God exists, that there is something beyond, but to believe in someone. Jesus in the gospel does not give us a list of things to believe. He says what? Believe in God, believe also in me. This is faith. This is faith. Remember the Hebrew... In the, we, we've talked about this before. The Hebrew word for faith is in the Old Testament, emunah, faithfulness, firm response. This is, again, what St. Paul translates in Romans 1.5 5 and Romans 16.26. The book ends of his epistle. He translates this faithfulness, this response of listening to the obedience that is faith. And he does this because he wants us to understand that, again, faith is not the belief in something that is just immaterial, some magnetic, uh, impersonal force, but rather one who is love. And because he's someone and not something, it demands a response, a mutual reciprocal response of love. So for Christians to believe is to believe in Jesus Christ. You know, I was reading uh, Father Kent of Mesa. He's a um, preacher in Rome. He's the one, I don't know exactly now if he's still doing retreats for the Pope. I don't know if he's doing this for Pope Francis. I know he was for 
um, Blessed John Paul II and Pope Emeritus Ben XVI, he would lead retreats. And if you've heard me talk about him before, I mean, imagine leading retreats for the Pope. You know, uh, He's a, a beautiful commentator, a beautiful speaker, a beautiful writer, author, all the rest. He was reflecting on, on today's readings that we're talking about, and he kind of, he looks back and into last week and also at the same time into next week, and he says, you know, if I ever get near heaven, I look forward to a long, unrushed conversation with the stars of the Gospels of this Lenten season. The woman of Samaria, the blind man, and next week we'll be talking about Lazarus, what he says in Lazarus. They were very fortunate and blessed people to have been made new again through Jesus' personal intervention, his consoling touch, his loving gaze, and his compassionate words. And he says, I would like to ask each of them four questions. That this was fun. Where did this guy come from? What did you experience when you looked him in the face? What did you feel when he spoke to you? How did you know that he was it? Hmm. Yeah, he says unrushed conversations, right? What it would have been like. You know, we have this opportunity today. You know, when we encounter our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. To ask him such questions. But we need to quiet all of the chatter in our heart. All of the busyness around us. So that we can actually hear what he is saying. And so that we might be enriched in this listen-response dialogue with God, that our encounters might lead us to a new worship. Again, remember, when you're talking about both last week and this week, and these gradual transformations, in these encounters, these, these gradual transformations, it leads to a new worship. And this is the end, a new worship. So everything that we, are go- that we are going through in our life, and especially during this Lenten season, let us ask our Lord new questions. Always mindful that new questions lead to new beginnings. And this is what God desires from us each and every day, to put on the new cloth, the garment of virtue, the garment of purity, where we ask our Lord, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do today? And it might be, well, Joe, what you've been doing, but with greater love. Well, John, (laughs) what you've been doing, but with greater love. Well, Sarah, maybe you can be more present at this point. Whatever it is, whoever you are, ask him that question. Mindful that there is always a gap between the person we are and the person we ought to be. Because we're never going to be perfect but there's always room to be more holy. Amen. Let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.
You've been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.